You're listening to a Dharma talk from Sunday Morning Zen, a program of the Zen Life and Meditation Center of Chicago. This morning's speaker is Barbara Barnes. Um, she's a Sangha member and a participant in the Zen Life Teacher Training Program. We're excited to have her here this morning. Um, Barbara's worked in conflict resolution and prevention for over 25 years. Um, and she follows a transformative model, which which creates space for participants to use an interest-based approach uh, to understand and resolve their disputes. And uh, with the benefits of mindfulness and deep listening practices, she's omnipartial with all parties and uh, helps guide them to seek a deeper understanding of what's informing their positions. And when understanding is reached, working towards sustainable resolutions and prevention agreements becomes an attainable outcome. We're excited to have her this morning. You can learn more at uh, braveconversationsllc.com. I'm sure she'll explain more about that work. And I'll turn over to Barbara. Thank you very much, Barbara. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I assume you can hear me. We got you. Great. Okay. It's always the first thing to check with Zoom these days. <laughs> um, so let's see. I'm going to switch my view back to gallery there. I like to see everyone. Well, thank you. I'm so excited and grateful to be here today. I'm very grateful to have um, landed in this beautiful Sangha. Um, I'm not going to call it your Sangha. I'm going to call it our Sangha as I change my neurology around and allow myself to belong. Um, I, the first thing I want to do is, is thank you, Roshi. Uh, many years ago, too many years for us to, to count, right? Um, I attended a class that he taught in inner disarmament. Uh, and it was in Salt Lake, actually, and it was with my mother, which was, it was a very interesting experience. I had already been studying nonviolent communication and other forms and being able to just be in the presence of the, the way that Roshi um, presented it was very helpful. And I wanna encourage everyone if you're thinking of working and engaging with conflict in any way, really um, see if you can allow yourself to make the time to take his grace training. I use uh, the grace method all the time in conflict engagement. Uh, it, it adds to the, my ability to be mindful of what's happening with me and how I'm engaging the conflict. So I hope you can do that. Today's um, presentation, I realize I, I always, come to this place, and if you've given presentations, you may have too, which is like, how much information shall I give? Do we want to go fire hose method, or shall we simplify things a little bit? And I decided to really keep it a little bit um, more contained in just how conflict engagement and mindfulness uh, can complement one another, and also um, give some tools. And I'm hoping there will be a bit of time when I'm done with the formal part of this presentation so that you can ask some questions about maybe some of your conflicts that you're experiencing or that you're worried about. Um, so what is conflict? Well, it's a great big darn Dharma gate. Conflict is an incredible opportunity for transformation. And when um, I engage in conflict, I always uh, come out differently, um, whether the parties who are in conflict feel that they've settled something or not. I, if I'm being mindful, I'm, I'm really able to um, experience some different parts of myself, which is very helpful and hopefully goes on and helps others. When I engage conflict, I sit down after every single one and consecrate every misstep that I may have taken, every regret that I may have, so that I can take that forward into the next um, conflict engagement that I participate in. I also mark what I can celebrate, maybe some new, new things that I've tried or new behaviors that actually occurred after many, many, many weeks of practicing something new. Um, one thing I want to, I also want to honor my teacher in this, my primary teacher's name is Ken Cloak, a uh, really wonderful individual, and he basically founded um, the, the principles of um, transformative or transformational um, mediation and facilitation. I've done a lot of work with Ken. Um, I've started teaching with him. He's beginning to offload some of his things. And so um, it's, it's, a, it's a thrill to be able to 
just to do this and to carry his work forward. Um, so when I talk about conflict, I could be talking about a conflict I have in myself or that you have with yourself. It could be, um, you know, as Roshi said earlier, a teenager. It could be um, an organization. It could be a divorce. It, you know, who knows what kinds of conflicts are coming. Um, currently, I'm working with a, a huge array of, of groups, and we are also getting ready to present some dialogues for communities to begin to hear each other. So one of the biggest things about being able to transform a conflict is to be able to hear what is actually happening with the conflict. One of the most important factors of that, well, there's two that I use. One is to separate the people from the problem, separate the person from the problem. That can take some mindfulness. <laughs> and, and another is, and this is, uh, this is meant in no disrespect to anyone that I've ever worked with in conflict. It just helps me. And that is when the conflict story, when the people begin to speak, when the organization begins to present, I do something a little tricky. I think to myself, once upon a time, <laughs> once upon a time, because we add so much to these um, conflicts that we begin to be in, and we begin to um, you know, add many more arrows than the first arrow that brought the conflict, right? And I find that people who are less skilled in conflict engagement, which is the majority of people that I meet, they have a quiver full of those second, third, fifth, tenth arrows that they can shoot. And so one of the things we try to do is help, uh, help to, to decrease doing any more harm as we work with people. So I'm going to share my screen. This is always sort of the um, awkward part of these Zoom presentations to make sure that I'm getting it right. So bear with me for a moment while I, there we go. And let's just start this, um, start my slideshow. There we go. Okay. So neurons that fire together, wire together. And that is really one of the basics of conflict. Um, we, as I, I hear it termed habit energies, we have some pretty deep habit energies when it comes to conflict. Most people, most human beings are conflict averse and people who are not conflict averse um, fall into a few different areas. They may have already been doing work with conflict and be really comfortable with it. Um, that's what I fit into. I, if you had told me though, when I was growing up and when I was in my, even my twenties, that I'd be running toward conflict, I would have laughed so hard and run away from you. Then there's another um, way to land with being not conflict averse, but conflict um, engaged is are people who kind of stir the pot. They need to have that going all the time. And that is simply, uh, in my view, um, a sort of a state of very sad, excited misery. And uh, it happens all the time. It also can be a result of trauma. So I wanna talk just briefly about trauma and being trauma-informed. My practice is highly trauma-informed. Uh, I don't run across very many people who don't have some sort of trauma that's happening. Conflict creates a sense of trauma but it also adds on to all the previous traumas that people have experienced in their lives. And that is when compassion is very important. So uh, if we can understand some of the neurology of conflict and how what happens is our limbic brain, our survivor part of our, of our neuro, neurological system literally hijacks our executive function so that it can't work anymore. So we're hijacked. And sometimes when it's a really high conflict, um, it can take up to 20 um, minutes for all those. I'm getting an echo. Is anyone else getting an echo? I don't know what that is about. I don't have any other devices on. Um, Michael, is there anything on your end? Well, let's go forward and see. 
had a little conflict with echoes for a moment there. Um, so we don't want to add to any trauma. Uh, we want to be aware of trauma and we want to know that, that what's happening neurologically. So it can take up to 20 minutes for that cascade of uh, heightened alert chemicals to clear the body. So if you're working with someone in conflict or you have experienced the conflict, it's good to give yourself a little time, even though you're like, oh, I get it, it's not so bad. Give yourself a bit of time for those chemicals to begin to clear because you'll be, uh, you, you know, you'll be full of sort of fight, flight or freeze um, commandments from your brain. So you kind of want to wait a little while. And again, for those of you who are neurologists uh, or neurologically adept, I am massively simplifying this for today's presentation. So when I started thinking about um, Buddhism uh, and the teachings that guide me in conflict engagement, it's the three tenets, right? So um, the first tenet is not knowing. So letting go of fixed ideas about yourself, about others and the universe. Well, how does that begin to relate to um, uh, what we do in conflict and mindfulness engagement? Well, curiosity is my version of that. So not knowing for me in conflict engagement, of course, I do practice not knowing and I'm very curious. I lean into what is happening in front of me with a very soft focus. So I'm not there to solve anyone's problems. I'm there to be present and to not make any assumptions. Bearing witness with compassion for your own reactions, responses, and your embodied awarenesses. This is so important. So how does that translate? Well, that's where I put omnipartiality, using an authentic presence, uh, paying attention, and remaining soft and connected with all that's happening. And I'm going to go into each one of these in more detail in just a minute. So when we think about the last, the final tenth of the three tenets, taking action, well, we know that depends upon what's appropriate and we rely upon what arose in, from not knowing and from bearing witness. So in my practice, that means deepening or decreasing the level of engagement that I'm, that I'm experiencing or that I am bringing to the conflict. So this is based on what's alive in the conflicting parties. And I use a level of, the level of intention of, um, sorry, of connection um, for gauging how intense things are going to be. I'm gonna stop sharing for a minute. I wanna tell you um, that I trained in a, a body work that's called myofascial release. And it's a very gentle form of myofascial release. It's actually taught by a fellow who has my dad's name, which is, or shares my dad's name, which is very interesting, the John Barnes method. Um, when I learned this, I knew that I was going to learn more about conflict engagement. So let me just give you a small um, sort of example of what, uh, what this is. So in myofascial release, I'll, I, if your body was under my hands right now, my hands might look kind of like this. And what I will do, what I would do is follow the principles, which is to soften, wait, be curious, and then nudge. And so in myofascial release, a, a person will put their hands on the body and wait kind of think in, sort of understand where am I in relation to this body and where is this body in relation to me? Where is this conflict in relationship to the people that I'm working with? And then as I feel myself nudge, or uh, I'm sorry, sink in, I soften even more and I get curious. And you use that curiosity to just sort of nudge in all directions on the body. And when I find restriction, I go in the direction of the, of, the re, of the resistance. I lean into the resistance, but I lean into it very softly with just a very slight nudge to see what's gonna happen next. And then I stop and I hold that nudge and I soften and I get curious. And for me, this is the embodiment of mindful engagement with conflict to um, nudge, which is asking a question or getting curious about what something might mean to someone. 
Um, if I'm working in a civil dialogue sort of concept, I might ask someone, what does the freedom of using a gun mean to you? What does the freedom of speech mean to you? Um, what does it mean to you to be safe, to want safety? Those sorts of questions are, are, are nudges so that we can broaden awareness and um, bring more, um, in a way, neutrality, but you know, just sort of slip into a gear where people know that I'm honestly inquiring. I can tell you this, mindfulness and engagement of conflict never work if I'm using it as a gimmick. It just doesn't work. People's unconscious pick it up right away and it's kind of icky looking. It's not, it's not very pretty. There's not much grace in it. So, um, so this really does have to be authentic. And one of, the, one of the most beautiful things about this kind of method is I can be authentic and I am completely transparent. And that uh, helps the unconscious mind of the people who are participating in this big risk they're taking feel more comfortable. So if I make a mistake, I, you know, it's, I make a mistake and I'm just open about it and I look to see what I can do to repair. Uh, another thing that can come with um, this kind of using mindfulness is using the, the neurology of conflict and using what's called predictive mind. So um, I will tell you where we're gonna be going as best I know so that you can rest back and not keep wondering where are we gonna go next? What are we gonna do next? Um, it might not be specific and I always do a caveat of, of course, we're gonna go with the, the way that the group is flowing. And these are the sorts of things we might be expecting today. Like if I'm working with a group, I may, I'll say, you can expect that you'll be in small groups several times. You can expect that there will be plenty of uh, bio breaks or comfort breaks. You can expect that I'm gonna move around on the screen a bit because Zoom is very, very difficult for people sometimes and it's a big drain. You can expect that I'll be pushing you to drink while you're listening and while you're participating because actually the brain on Zoom uses more of your uh, hydration uh, and so it's really important. So I hope, so cheers to everyone that's here. Um, I hope you all have a little drink with me. Yay. Oh, yay. Thank you, Shuping. It's so good to see that people are, are taking care of yourselves. Okay, so I'm going to go back to sharing my screen once more. All right, everybody see it? I'm looking at you, Roshi. You see the screen? Okay, thank you. Um, okay, so what's the first thing? Curiosity. I, this is my favorite thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> so curiosity is a superpower. It really is a superpower, especially with conflict engagement and using mindfulness as a guide. So neurologically, you absolutely, the brain cannot be curious, cannot be leaning into something and have the limbic system running at the same time. So what a gift, right? If, if I'm feeling really anxious about something, one thing I can do is just get really curious about what's around me. I don't necessarily get curious about what's creating the anxiety, I can name it, but then I just get curious about other things or that might relate or might not, but I get curious or, you know, in an advanced sort of practice, I get curious about, hmm, just how is my body telling me that I'm anxious? What are those sensations? And then I can just get curious about, wow, that is a powerful grip on my diaphragm. That's amazing how much power there can be in just that one sensation. Let me put my arrows away and see if I can just work with this. And so when participants in conflict engagement receive curiosity that's authentic, it feels so nourishing. It can feel a bit threatening. So sometimes we have, I keep track because I can be mindful. Are people looking away from me when I'm getting curious? Instead of leaning in, could I, do I need to lean back? Do I need to sort of match where they are? so that I'm not creating any more discomfort. I'm really sort of getting into the boat with the, with the person that I'm working with. And I'm really finding out the way their boat is going up and down so that I can match some of that 
and bring that care and compassion uh, with me. And in that way, I'm not taking on what's happening with them. I'm actually just sort of, you know, going shoulder to shoulder. I'm right here with you. And we're going to look at this over here together. And that can be very, very helpful with groups, with individuals, um, and with organizations that are, that are troubled. So curiosity will always be your superpower. Turn to it whenever you can. It's a, it's a great tool. So omnipartiality. Now, this is a kind of a new term, and Ken Cloak uh, did coin this term. The, when facilitation and mediation began, we were supposed to be neutral parties. Well, that just it's, just, it's just not true. Who's neutral about anything? That we all have this mind, right? We've all got judgments. We've all got habit energies. Everyone has their ideas. And so instead of trying to force someone into neutral, which I find to be almost impossible and, and can become very um, inauthentic when there's a lot going on in the room, being omnipartial is very helpful. So what I am is basically I'm on everybody's side. I'm not on any particular side and I'm not not going to support you in understanding your conflict. I'm not, not going to support you in going deeper and understanding more about what's causing the discomforts that are happening around the conflict. Another thing that omnipartiality allows is a very large container for people. So there's definitely a container because we have agreements, but the omnipartiality allows people to kind of move around a little bit in their own belief system and what may or may not be limiting them in coming to a full understanding of where they are with, within regards to the conflict. And that's super important um, when people are just coming to terms. Because one of the dangerous questions that I might ask is, what part might you have played in this conflict? That shows me immediately who's gonna run to, whose system is going to run to shame and be, be bad instead of running to trying to understand and having maybe done something unskillful. And that gives a chance to, again, kind of go out and come back in and go out and come back in. And it can be very helpful. And the being omnipartial just means I'm going to support all parts of you as they show up, no matter what. Of course, there's boundaries. And so I'm not going to support screaming and yelling. But I have, we have ways of working with that. And if I can be mindful while someone is escalating, I can go with them and help them come back to a place where their executive function is working again. Uh, just as um, when I used to work with hospice patients, uh, when the pain would increase, I would go with them and help anchor so that they could come back to another kind of awareness, one that might give them a little more space um, around the sensations of pain. Um, so I hope that that is a little clear. Sometimes the term omnipartiality can be a little off-putting for people. Okay, so then there is um, deepening, right? So deepen or decrease your level of engagement. Um, so conflict being an invitation for transformation. I've already received that, that, that invitation from someone or a group that's in conflict. And so what I need to do is come into resonance. And this is another tool of mindfulness, right? I need to begin to understand uh, the level of energy that's present. And is the level of energy going to, does it look like it's getting in the way of understanding? Does it need to happen? Maybe it needs to just be a vent, but if it doesn't need to happen, I might decrease a little bit my level of engagement or I might lean in and get the attention of the, of the person who's very upset and really engage in listening deeply to what's happening. Uh, body language is very important. If I am, especially on Zoom, you know, if I turn to the side and I'm kind of, you know, leaning back and that is not gonna give you, give your unconscious especially the idea that I am present with you. And, Mindful engagement of conflict is all about presence. So as I'm doing right now, sometimes we'll just slow down a little bit 
And I can tell you, connecting with you is really important. And keeping the connection during this time is important. And sometimes to do that, I may slow down a little bit. And I'll be transparent. It's to give your brain and my brain a chance to rest a little and a chance to deepen into maybe the rest of what's happening. Mindful engagement also may be me asking you, how is your body feeling right now? And of course, I get all sorts of answers and uh, I'll continue to get all sorts of answers. But one of the most common ones when someone is sort of uh, escalated is um, I'll get words of explanation, but not words of description. And so if during mindfulness, during this kind of engagement, we can encourage people to connect with what the sensation is. I feel angry. How does your body tell you you feel angry? Well, my body feels angry. Well, how does your body tell you that? And just to continue to repeat and to continue to get sort of curious and to be transparent. I, I would really like to know some of the sensations if it's temperature or tightness or looseness or numbness or whatever it is. I'd like you to explore what that is for a moment. And that can be very helpful because now we're starting to impart ways for people to be mindful of their own self during a conflict. And that's really helpful, very, very helpful. Um, there's a lot of paraphrasing that can happen. So if I need to um, demonstrate to you that I am right with you, I will begin to paraphrase what you've said once in a while. Or I will ask one party to paraphrase what the other party has just said. And that's a, an incredibly wonderful deepening sort of um, tool to use. I'm calling these tools. I don't really like that term, but I approach gets a little old. So we're gonna stick with tools. And please know, and this is me doing predictive mind care at this point, there will be plenty of time uh, at the end of this presentation with the slides, we can see each other again. And I, I will be wanting to know your questions and your observations. And especially if you're having conflicts that this, some of this may be helpful for. Okay, so the best thing I can do for you is my work. Does anybody remember who said that? Who gets quoted the most for that? It's Ram Das. So the best thing I can do for you is my own work. So in this kind of, and I'm gonna stop sharing the screen for a minute. I just would rather see all your faces. Um, so this kind of approach to conflict engagement requires a lot of the practitioner. And so maybe I'm excited about this um, approach because I already have a mindfulness practice. <laughs> I'm not sure. But when I teach practitioners, the requirement is uh, a mindfulness practice every day, 20 minutes. You can do it in five minute increments, 10 minute increments, 20 minutes, but you, there needs to be at minimum a 20 minute um, period of mindfulness every day. Uh, and, and not just um, you know, sitting and letting the mind wander, but using, um, using guided meditation. We, you know, we talk about what will work for you, what won't work for you. It's very secular, very, you know, I mean, we're very careful to not have it be a Buddhist practice or um, anything, just becoming mindful, really paying attention to the neurology of it. Now, when I started working with Ken, um, his requirement is an hour a day when you start this. And uh, that's also very, very helpful. And um, I, I find it to be a huge benefit in conflict engagement. I don't know any practitioners that don't. Um, so there's, there's a mindfulness practice. And then before I engage with any clients, before they come on the Zoom screen or in before times, uh, when they would come to my office or I would go to their organization or conference center, I will find a place and I will sit for 10 minutes. And part of that time I'm, I'm gathering my resources, I'm being aware of my body, I'm emptying as much, I'm becoming aware of emptiness as much as possible. I'm reaffirming my faith in nothing. And I also um, will offer loving kindness for about five minutes 
to everyone that I'm about to work with. So I did that this morning. So uh, I just, it's, it's a way to center. It's also a way to set my intention, which is going to sound, it's all going to sound really familiar if you take Roshi's um, Grace Workshop. So, you know, I'm setting my intention of what I'm going to bring. I'm aware of my limitations. I'm aware of my resources. And I'm just really curious, how are we going to go here? What's this going to be like now? And how will we work together? So um, it's, it's so necessary. And for example, I've got a, a request for proposals. So I'm, I'm gathering um, transformative uh, mediators and facilitators. And the requirement is that they continue as we start these dialogues that we're going to do in their mindfulness practice and even beef it up. It's kind of a funny thing to require. I feel a little awkward about it, but I also feel absolutely no um, negotiation is available. People who come into this to, to help people with their conflicts must be mindful. It's, it's an absolutely the most loving thing I can bring is my authentic self and doing my work. So I can tell, I'll tell a short story about that. I, worked with an organization who hired this wonderful um, woman to come and, and be a, a manager on a really high level. And she did not live in Helena. And so when she arrived in Helena to move and to take the position, um, she was a he. She had um, transitioned to male and was continuing to transition. And you can imagine what that brought to the organization. And uh, I got a call and, and I went and um, I was mindful and I was very slow and deliberative. And he said, no one in this room understands my experience. And I agreed. I said, no one, no one can understand this the way you're experiencing it. And can I tell you that I'm I identify as a, a lesbian and I have had bottles thrown at me and I've been yelled at and cussed and threatened. That part of your experience, I can understand, but most of it I can't. And, I, and so it just broke the room open because I'm being omnipartial. I'm saying, I've got this, I've, I have this experience in my life. And I said nothing negative about the people who were unskilled in bringing their, their difficulties toward me. And so it created a, a link of safety for everyone. If I didn't have a mindful practice, mindfulness practice, I may have run away from that. I may have thought, oh, you poor guy, and just offered sympathy instead of real compassion and empathy. So empathy is another huge part of what mindfulness brings, right? I can actually come and wonder, what is it like to be in your shoes? What is it like to be in your chair? What is it like to be without sight or to be um, uh, without uh, some ability that the majority of Americans or the people around me um, are having at the moment? Um, what is that like? What would it be like? So here's a, here's a great clue for you when you're really mad at somebody for something they've done and you just can't get over it. Sit for a few minutes just in quiet, and then ask yourself, what would have to happen to me to make me behave that way? What would have to happen to me to make me behave that way? And I'll give you a clue, the answer is, and I'd have to just be a dumb jerk. <laughs> but that might be the first thing that comes to your mind. So you can just you know, keep, keep deepening. Okay, I'm gonna share one last time. Uh, here we go. Okay. So how do we do this? What the heck? Be aware of your breath. This is really basic and really big. If I'm facilitating a conflict and I'm holding my breath, everybody else is too, or many people are. So you know, we, I practice, I go back. Where's my belly? Where's my breath awareness? Where's my awareness of the speaker that, that's breathing? Tone awareness. Tone of voice is volumes. 
it will tell me so many things if I can be mindful and be aware of what the tone is. So a part of what's happening here is each one of these elements that I'm going to present to you is as it is in mindfulness, it's coming across the screen, right? It's a, it's transient or it's, it's noticeable. And then notice what's behind it rather than following it completely to the end of the earth where it will then just magically start to loop around again and do the very same thing. <laughs> the earth is probably not flat. We can just circle it time after time after time with our, with our habit energies. So tone is important. Sometimes I'll match a tone, but without the emphasis. So um, uh, let's say Michael is uh, getting all excited about something and doesn't think I'm hearing him. I might say, and, he, and he's like, I, but it's really, really important. I might say, yeah, boy, it's super important. And how frustrating. I'm not hearing you right now. This is hard. So what I've done is I've come shoulder to shoulder with you in your conflict with me so that I can maybe understand it a little differently. I'm gonna look at it from your perspective. And perspective is everything, right? Because perspective creates reality. So if I can understand your perspective and deepen with you into your perspective, maybe we'll all come out with a little different view of what we think reality is. So then there's deep listening. Now, um, here there is an incredible podcast by a fellow named Oscar Tromboli and it's an Apple podcast, and it's called Deep Listening. Uh, he takes people through all sorts of ways to learn how to listen deeply. In transformative uh, facilitation and conflict engagement using mindfulness, we listen between the notes. We listen for what is not being said. We listen in a way that helps the speaker deepen their own understanding. That is my primary goal. I am not here to listen and respond with what I think. I'm here to listen and respond to what I'm curious about. What's next, I wonder? Then what happened? So that I'm here to help you deepen your awareness and your understanding with compassion, with omnipartiality to all parts of you and the whole room, and with kindness and respect. So conflict embodied, watch the body, watch your body. This goes back to, you know, bearing witness, right? This goes back to understanding what's happening in me. So um, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, facilitating a conversation about an end of life. Um, family was having a very difficult time with the, the ending of a, the patriarch's life and wondering where they were all going to be in it. And partway through, my throat just got so tight and I was really mindfully engaged with people. I mean, it got really tight. And I did something that many um, mediators or facilitators uh, kind of go away from if they don't have the transformative model. I just put my hand up to my throat and I said, my throat is so tight. How about you all? Does anyone else have a tight throat right now? I'm just curious. And of course, what happened was several people just began to weep. They needed to mourn. They needed space to mourn. Um, it's one of the things that I was so, so uh, touched by with the presentation the last time about grief, because many conflicts, one of the major seeds is unresolved grief, those unresolved puddles of sorrow, as Stephen Levine would say. They're there all the time. So we watch for these things in the body. We, we might watch, you know, someone might all of a sudden kind of be in, a, in the room, Zoom room with me, but, you know, doing this. And then this one, they're, you know, they're tuning out. So that doesn't tell me that they're bad. It tells me that maybe we need more resourcing. Maybe we need to, to slow down a little bit. Maybe we need a break. Maybe that person needs to, what mediators call caucus. Maybe we need to go into a separate space for a little while so that I can find out what they feel like they're lacking in order to stay engaged. Um, it's really important. And often people will begin to tune out. You probably will guess this right before everything sort of begins to open up. It's sort of like trying it. I'm really, I'm really going to try it. No, no, I'm going to try even harder to hold those floodgates back. 
And if I can be mindful, so one direction I can go if I'm not mindful is, God, what am I doing wrong? These people are not engaged. They're all, oh, geez, oh, geez, I can't believe it. So another time I was in a meeting with um, people that I was doing a leadership, mindful leadership training for. And it was before times we were in the room together and none of them would look at each other and none of them were, and they were kind of tired and, you know, just, just really slouched back. And I just inquired, well, I noticed that, you know, nobody's answering any of the inquiries that I'm bringing. People are kind of slouched back and it's all okay. It's just fine. I'm wondering what's going on. Are you curious about what's happening with the fact that the amount of energy just plummeted in this room? Hmm. And then I employ silence. <laughs> you know, the mind can hardly stand more than 10 seconds of silence. See what I mean? <laughs> so it's, um, it's really important to then just leave room for the discomfort with care and with compassion. And then outcomes. So I know if I'm doing what, if I'm bringing my best, which is varies from day to day, right? Um, if you're the people that I'm helping with the conflict, uh, you are in charge of the outcome. I'm I, my piece of it is to make sure that I'm guiding the process. I'm in charge of the process and I'm not in charge of the outcome, which can be very helpful for a lot of people to know that um, they have that agency and that's really important for them. Let me go back to my full screen here. All right. So I've said a lot. <laughs> now I'm going to be quiet and be curious about um, what you might have questions or comments about. If you're thinking about any, I mean, feel free to bring a, bring a little conflict. We'll do a little conflict coaching, whatever you'd like. I'll do my best to have embodied mindfulness as you bring that. Well, I just think this was a fantastic talk. I can't believe how much uh, was in this talk that you gave, Barb, and uh, particularly like the notion of omnipartiality. That's a kind of a new uh, perspective. And I think that's actually very skillful. And that to admit that we're not able to be uh, neutral, that we always have a, a we're kind of have a point of view, but then to be curious and be able to um, open to other points of view. I think that's very skillful. And that's just one of the many things you said that I uh, just really appreciate this talk. I think it was lovely. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Roshi. I'm so glad, yes. We used to say, um, I'm neutral, but not neutered. <laughs> <laughs> Might I suggest a branding opportunity with that phrase? I, I see t-shirts and mugs and... Uh, so, Barb, I really like that. Yes. Barb, I have a question. Um, I'm assuming that there's a lot of pre-work and surveying going on before you engage with a group. Is that correct? Most of the time, that's correct. Uh, sometimes it's triage and I go in and I, but that's when Sandy, when authenticity can come into play, I will say, I haven't been able to do any of the stuff I usually do to find out um, some of the other things that are going on. So we're going to do this on the fly. And that's a great, actually a great entry. There's a, a technique that's called, that does take a lot of um, work if you can get the work in in advance of questions and interviewing and assessing and conflict audits and all those sorts of things. When it's not possible, I will start with a method that's called reflective structured dialogue, which is, I adore. It was designed specifically for groups who when they get in the room with each other, their eyes bleed and their ears explode. So um, it's, it's very helpful and it was designed for to meet the neurology of conflict and trauma. 
So just a, a very brief, the first gathering of people, I because they haven't been able to set their own agreements, or as they as the militias agreed in Belfast when they were doing the initial um, negotiations, promises for success. That was a militia that came up with that. I love that. Anyway, we'll get the people together in a room, and the the agreements are no interrupting, no speaking out of turn. We're going to all be quiet together, and they're seated with face between the chairs. And each one has a notebook and a pen. And each one is going to be, I ask one question, one deepening question initially. For example, I might ask, um, what does having peace with others mean to you? Or what does the value of peace mean to you? And then I'll, I'll tell them you have two minutes or depending on the skills of the people who might have more time to just sit in quiet and write their thoughts gather their thoughts and write them. And then the next step is quite wonderful. Okay, everyone here is going to be the first speaker. So I will call on you. You will, you will share what you need to share. We will all take one big breath and then we will go to the next person and it will be around Robin. There will be no commenting on other people's um, share. You just share what you wrote and what your contemplation is. And what that does, Sandy, is it helps eliminate coalition building um, that can happen with groups that are really hot. And so if I have to go in in a hurry, which I've had to do um, as we've gotten more hot in our country, this is really helpful because people just get to kind of sit back and hear what each person says. And I get to be my first, the first voice in the room. Only I have this that I'm presenting. And it really helps bring things down. And then there's lots of stuff to do after that. But it's very helpful, Sandy. That's a great question. But yes, with groups, there's a whole bunch of stuff we do. Barb, that sounds a lot like council process. I, it probably is very similar to council process. Um, it comes from fostering from uh, essential partners. There's a, a downloadable book called uh, Fostering Dialogue. That's quite wonderful. I love to teach um, fostering dialogue. It's uh -huh. really, yeah. And when I go into, um, if you can believe this, you guys probably will have a hard time believing this, but a lot of times spiritual communities have conflict. I mean, aren't they supposed to be spiritual? What, what do we, anyway. So when I go into um, uh, communities of practice uh, to help with conflict, um, generally by then people have really siloed into their own places. There's a lot of spiritual materialism at play. And so this kind of thing is very, very helpful. And it's a whole long process and it's very similar. And then people, uh, those communities of practice can make tweaks in the way that they might um, follow what they're doing. Yeah. Barb, Mark Hi. here. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Just, just wonderful. I came into this wondering now, what the heck is this gonna be? It's just <laughs> fabulous. Um, I was, um, just thinking about the fact that um, you you kind of move um, in the work, it seems to me, from the head to the body. You know, you you can't. I I don't. I I'm using the word force, but it's not the right word. I can't come up with the right word. But you're kind of forcing people. You're engaging people to move from their mind to their body, which I really really like. And I was taken as I was thinking about that to um, I, I used to. I was in a training program. I never quite finished it because I moved in gestalt therapy. And that's very much what's done in gestalt therapy. And it's so powerful. And a, a good deal of what happens in gestalt therapy is you, you literally get tongue-tied because you can't figure out how to make that, that switch. And so you're forced into silence within yourself and having to say, okay, wait a minute, I've just got to stop here and feel... Yeah and then move it from the body into words. It's just wonderful. And I really appreciate how you've, you've described that, but in a different way. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's, um, it also comes, Mark, from the Hakomi practice that I was trained in, in uh, body-centered psychotherapy, which is um, all about attuning to the body and resourcing. And a very important premise of Hakomi, and I bring this into all my groups, is that never to ask anyone to go somewhere that they're not resourced to go. Mm -hmm. So um, 
some people will say, well, they're not ready. I have to say, I can't even be neutered or neutral about that. Um, readiness has nothing to do with it. Capacity right. has everything to do with it. Right. And being resourced enough means being able, right, Mark? So right. If, right. if you can be aware of your body for um, 10 seconds before it's too darn scary, well, what does that tell you? That says, oh, there's trauma here. We need to do some more resourcing or this conflict will never, ever resolve. Yes, indeed. And Roshi's going to talk about that in the grace process, too, I'm sure. When, yes. he, gets oh, to, I... when he gets to a tune. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't, uh, I can't encourage you enough to consider that course. It, if you're thinking of um, working more with conflict, um, oh, having those, having those um, muscle memories, those, having that in your cells, the, the grace um, uh, process will be a great help. Uh, Barbara, I had a question. Yeah. I'm really appreciating this because who doesn't have conflict in their lives? This is very, very helpful. Can you say more about resourcing? What do you mean by resourcing? Well, thank you, June. That's a great question. So um, if I'm mindfully engaging, I'm becoming aware that uh, possibly, and I'm just going to use you, June, okay? Um, uh, you know, oh, oh June, um, you know, she's, her face is really coloring when we're talking about this. Uh, so I will slow down and I'll watch you carefully and I'll watch to see if there's anything self-soothing that seems to help and I'll mirror it. So a lot of times people go like this, you know, because we're you know, protecting our heart and, and our, the way we communicate and the way we receive. So I might just very gently say, oh, well, that looks helpful. That really looks helpful. I hope you can find that again, find that space again for yourself. So that's resourcing. Sometimes resourcing is education. Um, I might say, so June, I don't really think Robert is the problem. I think you could separate Robert from the problem. You wanna try that just as an experiment? So sorry to pick on you, Roshi. Um, so, um, one of the things that's great about that is that people begin to see they have other options and so they're not as constricted. So one of the clues that someone is feeling or a group is feeling under resource is that they get really tight and they make rules. They make up rules to solve their problems. And that just means there's not enough resourcing or skills. And so I might come in and do a whole thing on um, conflict engagement with separate the person from the problem. Um, ask questions. Another really great resource is to try to remember, now this will, this is a mind blower, are you ready? Every complaint is a request. There's no such thing as a real complaint. It's just making a request. So as with nonviolent communication and inner disarmament, as Roshi can tell you, or anybody else that's taken it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look past, I'm gonna help people try to learn how to look past the words that are coming at them. This is a resource building and get really curious, right? So if they get curious, what's happening? Their limbic system is, is powering down. What, what are the feelings behind there? What are you feeling? What are you, what are you needing? I know you're calling me an asshole and a terrible human being and awful. What are you, what are you confessing to here? And, and what do you really need? So I don't have to take it in. Does that answer your question, June? Is that, okay. You know, funny, I was teaching, a, um, teaching this and talking about it at a, a big library that I worked with, and I used the word, re I said resourcing in my PowerPoint, and, you know, there were a whole bunch of, um, where's our journalist? Anyway, there was a whole bunch of uh, folks who said, you know, I'm, I'm an English major, or I, I, there's no such word, you can't use resourcing <laughs> in that way. <laughs> That's not good. So that was kind of fun to experience that. Anybody, how about anybody else? Thank you yeah, for this smart. talk. Um, I've been thinking about this and how we could use this to come about um, systematic abuses of power, such as the abuses of power for black people and all people of color um, that are experiencing for a long time. And how do we encourage the powers um, to be able to, and of capitalism and, and abuses of, of race, and how do we encourage them to be able to open up to listen to the oppressor? people that are okay. suffering so to listen to the oppressed yeah or okay 
Yeah. Um, I just wanted to make sure I had it right. Thank you, Lori. That's a beautiful question. And um, the work that we're doing uh, with mindful engagement of conflict and of those positions is we, we encourage people to begin to separate their positions from their interests. And so an oppressor, a person who's um, got more power than someone else, what are their interests in that? What's happening there? Is it um, a scarcity model? Is it uh, a, a lack of understanding of another culture model and the fear that, you know, of everything they've been told? And it's very gentle and uh, very respectful uh, because I don't know about you, but if somebody comes at me and says, you've got to change your ways, you're bad and wrong. Well, actually, because I have a Buddhist practice, I probably will look at it, but most people will not look at it, right? Most individuals will just um, get tighter and, and get further back. And so to lean into, you know, what, is it, what does it mean to you to uh, be in control? Um, what does it mean to you that the um, people of color on your staff probably aren't going to go as far? What is that? What, what, what is your interest in making sure that that's the, the track that is being taken? Um, we look for trauma. And we look for, uh, you probably all know about the genome project. But, you know, I begin to look for epigenetic reasons, which are very unconscious. Um, but are very much there, and that simply is um, I am I'm entrained to believe to have this belief. Well, let's let's unpack the belief a little bit without saying you shouldn't have the belief. Let's just let me come and sit right next to you, Lori. We're going to sit right next to each other, and we're going to look at this belief that you have, and I'm going to look over at you, and maybe ask you some questions, and maybe write stuff on a board, and then just keep being curious. Um, it 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 does help. So there's, you know, there's interest-based, an interest-based approach, which is really one of the, the higher levels of functioning. There's the rights-based approach, which means some, somebody's in charge of your rights. So we try not to go there. So it's also really understanding um, democracy and, and how we work as a democracy and how we don't work and beginning to do work within different layers of um, organizations especially municipalities um, and, and, and other, you know, corporations. And also to remember that I'm omnipartial. So I'm gonna work with them as well as I'm gonna work with the people who are being indeed oppressed and, and fact-finding so that we can give objective and, uh, and not subjective examples of the impact of the decisions and the choices that are being made based on positions instead of interests. Answer your question a little bit, Lori? Okay, thank you. Anyone else? Looks like we're about two minutes away. Okay, well, Ruben, I hope you come back. Oh, yes, Robin. I just wanted to ask, are you hopeful about um, the future of our country? I'm hopeful that we can learn and grow. And I'm not, um, no, I've sort of given up hope as a way of functioning. Mm. I, I, I have aspirations to reduce suffering as much as possible. Um, I am very um, encouraged that um, there are many, many uh, groups that are uh, filtering out now and beginning to work on systemic issues and systemic conflict. There's a wonderful podcast that's called um, uh, How to Citizen, which is just absolutely an incredible um, podcast and reveals every time work that um, especially people of color are doing, moving out into, into groups and working with police stations and uh, large municipal uh, police departments, et cetera, to try to change some of those issues. I believe, I mean, honestly, um, that we are in the middle of going through a Dharma gate as a country. And I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know, but I'm gonna keep my heart open. Is that, is that helpful, Robin? Very, thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right. Thank you everyone so much.
May all your conflicts be juicy. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you, Barb. Thank and you. Yours as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. So fun. Thank you. That was great. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you, I'm glad. Very well done. Very helpful. Very helpful. <laughs> oh, I think you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, after 25 plus years, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Hi, Rob.